Welcome to Broadway's Backbone with Brad Bradley, a podcast dedicated to the men and women of the ensemble, the chorus of singers, dancers, and actors that are the foundation of every Broadway show, actually any musical. These often unsung gypsies are the hardest working people on the board and are Broadway's Backbone. Welcome to Episode 3. Our special guest is Lisa Gaida. Hi, welcome Lisa. Hi. Welcome to my podcast. I'm so thrilled you're here. You're uh, considered Broadway royalty. Well, no, you're a legend. Maybe, <laughs> what do you like? You don't like either of them. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, you're very well um, respected on Broadway. Thanks. Okay, that one you'll take? No! no. <laughs> well, I'm just going to go through, uh, your. start off with your Broadway shows. Uh, Tommy, How to Succeed in Business, Fosse, Kiss Me Kate, Sweet Smell of Success, Moving Out, Urban Cowboy, Monty Python Spamalot, The Times They Are Changing, Cry Baby, Pal Joey, Finian's Rainbow, Catch Me If You Can, and Chaplin. Uh-huh. And then you have two um, encores, Applause, and Can Can. Uh-huh. That miss anything? Encores and Can Can. I don't know. Yeah. Pro- I mean, no. I don't think so. And uh, about national tours or other things? I did Tommy National Tour and How to Succeed National Tour. Great. So mm-hmm. where, did, where did you get started? I mean, how did you start? Where are you from? Um, I grew up on Long Island. I, uh, there was actually a really interesting dance studio on Long Island. And um, because it was, uh, it was super passionate. And so I studied not very seriously when I was a kid. And I was kind of like working out life a little bit more as a young person. So I was, did not have the emotion, the sort of psychic um, energy to be serious about anything. I was working out being a person. So I wasn't serious. And then when I was about 17, um, I graduated last in my class, and I was good at nothing else. And I found that I had no choice but to pursue being a dancer. Uh, I think it's what I really wanted to do, but I wasn't comfortable uh, saying it. You know, it was a vulnerable thing to say. This impossible thing is something I really would love to do. So, uh, but when I turned 17, I realized I kind of had to. And I started studying at Steps in New York City taking sort of super easy classes and graduating to harder and harder classes, and I started really finding myself. Could I keep going? Okay, so anyway, um, and then, uh, so that's, that's sort of, and then I studied every, because I wasn't serious when I was younger, I studied like a lunatic when I was about uh, 18 to 20. I took like three classes a day, seven days a week, without a day off for a very long time, uh, for years, and um, which was crazy. I'm not saying that's a good thing, but I did have to... Um, I had a lot of catching up to do because I hadn't been serious. And I also was sort of like, I don't know if you ever had a moment where you kind of find out where you belong. It's not that hard to just throw yourself into it. Um, and then I drove cross country with my best friend, Allison, to visit my friend. His name is now Tice. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, um, and I wound up staying there. And I had started my career, if you will, in Los Angeles uh-huh. by mistake. Just sort of like, I'm going to take the family car and keep it and live in L.A. So, uh, and I started my career there. Uh, and I lived there for about four years. Um, and then I had a very, very bad dry po- spot and I wasn't happy living there. And, and it was my excuse to leave. And I came back home to New York. And the second I walked up the subway stairs um, in like 94, 95, I was like, I don't care what happens. This is where I belong. So um, I don't care what happens to my career or anything like that. What did your career entail in, in Los Angeles? I did a lot of, um, I had a pretty good career in Los Angeles. Um, but uh, it was, it was at the time. It was a lot of award shows. I did the Academy Awards. I did those twice. I did the MTV Music Awards with Paula Abdul, and um, which I love because I got to dance as a man, which is who I am. And um, and then uh, lots of industrials and stuff like that, you know. But when and I've had serious dry spots, of course, in New York too. But they weren't as excruciating because I belong in New York. So. I, was, I live a life that I'm enjoying whether I'm working or not in New York. And in L.A., I was like, why am I here if I'm not working? Did you travel um, when you were in Long Island to New York to see shows all the time? or were you? No, I still don't see shows. I'm not, I'm not the kind of person who sees a show. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I don't know what that is. A lack of intellectual curiosity regarding show business. I'm intellectually curious about other things. And I'm not particularly um, interested in theater. No, that, there's nothing wrong with that. that the one thing we've talked about is that you might not be interested as an audience member, but you have so much pride yeah. about what you do and about the craft. Yeah. Yes, yes. I do. It's weird. You know, probably when you interview people, you'll notice that they have 
a lot of conflicting answers, you know, like you say one thing and then you say another thing and they conflict. So that's kind of, yeah, no, I think, um, I think I spent my life exactly where I belonged and I was very proud of, you know, of, um, being a, a dancer in some ways that were good for me in some ways that weren't that good for me. And, um, and I like show people if I'm going to be around any dysfunction, <laughs> I think I want to be around the needy assholes that post on Facebook about their jobs. And, um, I, there's a there's an aliveness to our world and to our life, and so for all of its flaws and all of its, you know, you're talking to me at a very particular time in my journey, and so I've talked a lot about how sort of I couldn't I, I spent my whole 25 years as a dancer um, in complete terror about losing everything I had, and I, and I was in that like frozen gratitude that people feel like they have to be grateful all the time, no matter what what their experience, daily experience is, whether they're exhausted or whether or not there are things about being in show business that they don't like or they're not, you know, or, or they don't like the things they have to give up to be in show and you're not allowed to do that. So I spent like 25 years like, like in denial about the things that weren't good for me while I was there. So now the pendulum has swung to this place where I'm like, that was fucking miserable. That was 25 <laughs> years of hell on earth. So it's so my answers are going to be sort of skewed in a direction, you know, a particular direction where I'm hoping and I'm kind of finding actually lately thing, the pendulum is sort of centering again. Back sort of never was center. It's becoming center finally. Where I'm kind of like doing tuck has been really instrumental in my being able to sort of um, observe myself in show business in a way that um, has been really healing, you know. Um, instead of suffering or looking back on the suffering, I'm actually doing it again and I'm not suffering. Well, I so. think that's great because you talk about, lately you've been talking about your new self. So um, before we, we'll get to that later, but yeah. what was this old self that you, uh, you talked about that was so showbiz angry? Well, I think that, I think that um, my old self, I, it's not unusual. I think I drove, I think show business, I didn't under, I had a slave master relationship to being a dancer. So if somebody asked me to do something, it's like I had to protect show business before I could protect myself. Like I had to protect my place, you know? And um, so I would, uh, uh, it came before me in every instance. So, so that's kind of my old self where I was very attached to what people thought of me. People thought I was a good dancer or not. Um, if you know, all of that stuff so like my old self cared about like we got this nice review in the times recently and I mentioned to you like um, that I felt my old self perk up a little bit like it felt good to get a good review but what was so nice is I went back to the theater the next night and I was like I don't care what happens right you know so that's kind of my so I think the old self is just attached to everything um, and my new self can really enjoy everything because I'm not attached there's no agenda now it's just sort of like using my energy to do my job as well as I can and and really being present and really seeing other, you know, uh, I see other people now much more in the show. I, I, my, the enjoyment comes from actually hearing the music and seeing the people, interacting with the people as opposed to trying to be great. No, I, that's great because I see a lot of kids now that their only concern is being great and not being present. So I think yes, that that's, that, there is something nice about getting older. So, but getting back to being young, yeah. um, if you seemed like you transitioned from just doing dance into musical theater. Yes. How was that transition for you? Well, I was just doing dance when I lived in L.A., and then I moved back to New York, and I started auditioning for everything. And I was, I always sang well, you know, for somebody who didn't really, it, I always sang well enough. And um, so I started getting called back to musical theater stuff. And I did, my first musical theater job was, the, I was like my mid-20s, and um, it was at Downtown Cabaret Theater, uh, I was non-equity. I was probably paid like $200 a week. And it was for me and my girl. And I fell in love. I really did. I was like, I can't believe that I get to do this. You know? Um, and there was always an aspect of that. Like, you know, even though I was sort of, sort of found being a dancer in many ways difficult, um, I also, there were many moments where I'd be like sitting in a theater, in a theater seat and be, you know, at a put-in and being like, this is my job. That's, you know, so anyway, it was... So I started doing, um, I did two shows at the Downtown Cabaret Theater, and then I got, because I was already a professional and been dancing for years professionally, I fairly quickly got my first sort of big job, but it wasn't like I hadn't been auditioning for many years, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So then I got Tommy on the Road, and that oh. was that was my first uh, sort of big, fat musical theater job. And then that was your uh, equity, equity card. card? Yes. So 
that already was an important show to you because it was your equity card, but then it became your Broadway debut. So yeah. how was how was that? Because that's also a huge rock musical. It was so awesome. <laughs> um, it was the first, one of the only times, and Casey Nicolau might be the only other person that's ever done this for me, but it was the only time I got a phone call to do a New York musical because I had done the part on the road and Wayne liked me. Um, and I got a phone call. Lisa Liguio was leaving the New York company, and I would move into the swing slot there, and they moved Joyce Chittick, who was swinging, into Lisa's slot there, and that was my first Broadway show. They just asked me to do it, which never, you know, it never happened really. At the, it maybe Casey gave me, like, Elf Workshop. So it happened again, like, 25 years later. It's 20 years later or something like that. And then that led to uh, Wayne calling you for How to Succeed? What happened then was I had to audition for How to Succeed, just like anything. Yeah, my, I got Tommy from auditioning for How to Succeed, and I didn't get How to Succeed, but he called me in for Tommy from there. Oh, that. okay. And then I had to audition for How to Succeed again, and, and um, wound up getting that. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah. So the next, one of your next big shows is Fosse. Yes. And did you do Fosse out of town, the whole... Uh, Canada thing? I did a few of them. So I was doing Tommy during one of the Canada things. I did those classes. There was like a weekly class where you would dance and get called back the following week, um, which was beyond excruciating. And there was one week where I was not called and I called Chet. <laughs> I was like, hey, um, I was just wondering if like my phone was working. And, you know, <laughs> and, he, let, and he let me go. He was like, oh, yeah, sure, come. So I did the classes. And then I did one Canada uh, out of town workshop and then I did um, so I skipped one did one I missed one of them one of the out of town tryouts and then I did the um, pre-Broadway nine month tour and wound up doing it on Broadway for a while I think it's the longest I've ever done anything was that well how do you do a long run and keep it fresh well Fosse wasn't hard because it was there was so much everybody kind of you, you stayed fresh in a way and not in another because everybody was so exhausted as fresh as you could possibly try to stay a lot of performances started to get like gruesome because everybody so you try the harder you try like I remember doing a matinee in I guess we were in LA and Sean Palmer who's magnificent still in show business uh, was a swing and I was utterly shattered like I was exhausted I had one of the hardest tracks out of anybody in the cast randomly just wound up in all the numbers that weren't cut you know, so I was just in a million numbers. I was shattered, but I was like, gonna try really hard. And I just tried so hard. And Sean Palmer came back and he went, what is up with you right now? You look crazy out there. <laughs> so, you know, that's kind of the kind of like, you know, you, even if you're trying to still be good in, it, when you're that tired, you kind of can get crazy looking. So, but in terms of being bored, we were never bored. There was always so much to sort of look for and to try to make better. It's in Spossy particularly, it's almost like a version of ballet where it's like, you kind of can't, ever do it well enough right you know so it, you know it was a that one wasn't hard it's really kind of never was very hard for me because you know my whole self-esteem was based on whether or not I was a good dancer so it wasn't hard for me to try to be good no matter what but I have heard you say you didn't really enjoy that experience yeah no Fosse was my worst nightmare because um because I had a bow I had my own bow I was cast as the lead fruit which it is very nice and very nice of Chet to do it but it seemed like such it didn't feel you know if there's anything I am not it is glamorous and that's okay and if there's anything I am not it is snooty you know what I mean I'm basically like a human spread ass walking down the street or like you know that's kind of my energy so this all the energy necessary for that it just didn't I never felt comfortable so I was bad at it the whole run and I couldn't I just kept trying and begging and wanting to be good at it and um, and then I had a, a we all had individual bows, so when I would bow, like nobody would clap for me, and I would be like, just devastated, like devastated by it. That would probably even be hard for me now. Um, so Fosse was really torturous for me because it was like the beginning of my working through all of that drama, of wanting to be amazing at something, and to the point that it was unfun, you know. And Fosse was the beginning of my working that it was very important, and it was an honor. And and I talked to the, some women that have done Fosse before. It is, you do when you do it, you're like, oh, this is special. And there, there was that, but then it, it, it didn't, it's, you know, probably about a year in, it just started to morph into me sort of working out this sort of, I'm not good enough, I want to be good enough thing that, and then from then, I worked on it my whole career, and, you know, and it got better and better and better. And then finally, when I retired in my mind, which is not, is before now, <laughs> like right now I'm retired, even though I have show makeup on. <laughs> Once I retired, it was over, thank God. What? 
Is this what, when you talk about there's that gaping hole that you have inside that you're trying to, like, fill the need? Like, what? No, but I mean, like sometimes, sometimes you say gaping hole, sometimes daddy you say size daddy hole. Soul. Most like, of you show business people have a daddy size hole in your heart, and you know it. <laughs> so what, like, what is that that you need, like the whole like love me, love me, and the, the whole how does describe that? So many. I would say most people in show business have a version of this, and I think also, you know, especially since I had my son, like I have so much, as you can see, I have so much. Even when I talk about it, I have contempt for that. But really, at the end of the day, like what I'm hoping to do, like as a woman, as a human being on this planet, is become more compassionate toward that energy. We have a lot of it in our show, in our in our business. Probably in every business, it's certainly obvious in ours. Um, uh, but now that I look at Luca, I'm like wanting to be loved or needing to feel loved is really normal, base human thing. And m- a lot of people in show business seem to look to have that to be loved via what we do. And um, I've lost track. But, um, oh, just the daddy size hole. So my dad didn't seem to like me so much. And so I just spent my, he says he does. But um, so I spent, I spent, really, I just kept trying to sort of prove my worth. And it sounds so psychotherapy, but it is through. Um, so that's what my daddy size hole is. And what a lot of people have it is just like dancing too hard, trying too hard needing too much from something that can't love you back. You know what I mean? It's a classic and it's everywhere. A few people don't have it and you can see it. Right. You know, you see it in their work and you see it in how they relate to what they do. They tend to be better at it. You know, I mean, I may have done a lot of shows because I, I, because I was able to audition well because that hunger was there. But I wasn't necessarily good a lot of the time. Because no, you're exceptional. I've that's watched. I've not seen, true. I've seen you in many things. I saw you in Fosse twice. I so. was so, all right, thanks. Yeah. Sometimes I was fine. Sometimes I was good. A lot of the time I was looking. I, I wasn't like I look at dancers now that are doing that, and I'm like, God, if you would just stop begging for love, you might be good at what you do. So that's kind of what I, I don't want to be too hard on myself, but that's kind of what I mean when I oh. when I look at myself and I, you know, it's like stop trying to be seen, and look around and hear the music and connect, and then maybe you'll be contributing the way you're hoping to contribute. You know? Oh, I know exactly. Yeah. I know exactly. So a couple people heard I was going to interview you, yeah. and they all said, you have to have her tell the Fosse Glove story. <laughs> now, I don't know if like you want to share the story. It's a funny story. Yeah. I, I heard the story, I think, before I even knew you. Yeah, it's it's so fascinating to me that people think the story is a good story. Yeah, well, it's kind of funny. Because well, it involves poop. <laughs> so you want me to tell it? Yes. I'll ch- all right, so you know who tells the story well? Brad Musgrove. And uh, he tells it accurately. A lot of people have like variations that aren't, but... So I was in Fosse, and I, um, get ready, everybody, because this is going to be like <laughs> classic TMI, but um, I generally, um, it's relevant, I, when I poop, don't need a lot of toilet paper. It's like just a sort of, <laughs> so you have to know that, <laughs> to know why I made this choice. So, but I use as much as I need. But anyway, so I was in Fosse, and I was um, the frug person, and the lead frug, so I had white satin gloves on, and I was I go I would go upstairs to put on my lipstick before I would do my number. And Shannon was doing I gotcha at the beginning, and I'm usually there at that time. And then I'm up there, and I'm like feeling this horrible rumble, like that kind of run that make the kind that makes you scared. And I'm feeling the rumble, and I'm like, whoa, like I totally have to poop, but knowing myself, like I can totally nail this, and it'll take me three seconds. And I I went into the bathroom and like had this I can't believe I'm telling this. I had this experience where <laughs> you're gonna tell the story, you gotta tell the story. <laughs> But I went into the bathroom and I like shat all over myself in the bathroom. I was like covered in poop. It was like, um, I don't think I've ever pooped like that before or since. <laughs> and so I was like, Jesus Christ. So Shannon's like moving along in her song and I'm rolling toilet paper onto my head. Like, and the more, I don't know if anyone's ever had, the more I wiped, the more poop there was. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was just like moving poop around. So. Poopy, 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 wipey, wipey, and it's just fucking time. It's time to go. So I pull everything up, and I run down the stairs to do the number, and there was poop on my glove, because I had to do the, I did the whole thing with gloves on. White satin gloves, there was poop on my thumb, like a brown streak on my thumb. So I did the whole number, and the whole number does, like, there's this whole, like, thumb to nose thing, so like, poop to nose during the number, and then after afterwards, I was like, I can tell no, like, this is so, and I went, and I washed it myself before I turned in the glove, and, um... It was just my coping mechanism to be like, I shot my glove, okay? I shot it. <laughs> just in case anybody, like, it was too horrifying for me to imagine somebody finding shit on my glove, so right. I just had to claim it, and uh, and that's the poop glove story. Yeah. Well, because it's not 
Broadway isn't just glamorous. I mean, we're in these nasty dressing rooms that, oh, yeah. that moldy, and it's just it's so it's so funny that people don't realize that like you know stuff like that happens. It's showbiz. It's not just people breaking on stage and and laughing. I mean, when there's sometimes. I mean, you vomit in the wings, and then you run out to go do your number. I can't tell you how many times I've vomited, because I suffer from migraines. So I have vomited in the wings, I have to say, like 30, 40 times, and then just gone out and done a number with, like, you know, a little piece of... <laughs> just, right. just on my cheek. <laughs> because, you know, that's what we do. Yeah. So after Fosse, uh, you went into Kiss Me Kate. Yes, that was a pleasure. That was a pleasure. Yes. And were you a replacement? I was a replacement, which I loved, because the show's already a success. You have a week of, I had a week of rehearsal, uh, or maybe maybe two, a week or two of rehearsal, and then, um, and it was just a very classy group of women. Um, I learned, that was like the, the um, dressing room where I decided that's how I want to be in, in this business. You know, Joanne Hunter was really the leader. Um, a lot of sort of veterans with lots of shows, and that, that experience, they were like the kind of women that like hung up their dress themselves if they could. And uh, Joanne must have booked like five Broadway shows over the course of the run. Never once brought it into the dressing room. It mm. was just a very classy place. So that was where I decided, like, oh, this is who I want to be in show business. Like, I don't. There are different ways to be, and I'm going to emulate sort of Joanne and, and those these women who um, they had all had real lives, you know. Yes. So um, you know, and it got messy there. Kissed me, Kate, but but. Um, uh, but here or there, but really at the end of the day, it was a really happy, well-adjusted building. So on the flip side, you've probably been in nasty dressing rooms. I have, oh yeah. And then you talk about um, the women competition, and you actually said something about your vulva tightening <laughs> against against women and stuff like that. So tell me about, because I mean, women relate to differently yeah, yeah. than men. Right, competition. Uh, so there was one dressing room that was just excruciating that comes to mind. I'm not going to say which, but you look at my resume, you'll know what it is. <laughs> um, and, um, that, you know, it's interesting. It's like women don't compete outwardly the way men do. Men are very healthy about competition. They, they overtly compete with each other and women aren't as comfortable doing that. So I'm trying to think, you know, I was always sort of competitive, but not, compared to others, not as bad as some. You know, like we've talked about, like laughed about, like watching somebody dance well in the way, like I used to be, like if somebody's dancing well in, in, on stage and you're in the wing, you're just watching every second of it, like in total envy and like frozen watching them, like kind of hoping they hop in their turn. Um, I was like that, like I definitely wanted to be the best. But it, I do have to say, it was more important to me to connect than, to, to, than that. So. Um, so actually my priority was I would rather be close, like if I share a, a, an understudy with somebody, I would always have rather been in it with them together, be in it together, than to compete with them. That just feels too yucky. So, you know, when I'm in a very competitive dressing room, um, I think that I don't really, um, uh, I don't have a lot of conflict. I just feel oppressed by it. You know what I mean? I don't openly compete with those women. In fact, I'll probably withdraw. You know, so if there's like a lot of talk about auditions and stuff, just just my little two cents as a retired dancer. If you're in show business, see if you can keep that stuff to a minimum so a dressing room can be like, it shouldn't, nothing is a safe place, but you know, it's a much nicer place to be because one day you won't be invited to the audition and it'll be nice that everyone's not talking or you won't get called back or, you know, it's just nice to, I, I, I like to have a dressing room have a, uh, and maybe men are, it might be a different need for men because men are so much more overtly competitive. It might not be as insidious. Uh, mm. It might not create the same energy it creates in a woman's dressing room. So I just think that it's a great idea not to bring that into the dressing room too much. It kind of creates a yucky energy. So yeah, so that's, that's my experience of competition. I didn't have a lot of uh, overt conflict. I just uh, hated those women and hated those rooms. Right. Well, you say that sometimes you have to repress your inner mean girl sometimes. Oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't today, <laughs> but that, that that's story, also not, over. Yeah, not, yeah, not on, tape. on tape. Yeah. Not on tape. Yeah, that's a not on tape story. So your next two uh, shows, uh, Urban Cowboy and Taboo, um, are considered flops. Yeah. And I mean, I, I've done my share of flops. Yeah. And they have a whole different feeling to your psyche, to your emotional state. How are, how was that? And what are the difference between the two? I mean, with Taboo, you did get the gypsy robe. Yeah. Uh, so that's cool. And Urban Cowboy. Um, like, you guys fought to stay open. So, I mean, they, yeah. they're definitely interesting I've been shows. in so many more flops than that. But um, 
what what's it like to be in a flop? Yeah. Oh, it's so much. It's hard in a way. You know, it's like now it's hard. It wasn't always hard for me. Um, but as I've got, the more of them you do, the more you're like, oh, it's just you work so hard. You want people to be enjoying what you're doing. It feels so much better to feel like you made them happy at the end of the night than not. So, you know, Urban Cowboy was a blast, actually. It was a good experience for me. Um, it was mayhem, you know? It was a show that, like, was, like, the, the culture of the cast was mayhem. And, um, and that was really fun. Um, and then, and Taboo uh, was a little bit more dysfunctional. Um, there was a little bit more dysfunction at the top. Um, but uh, everyone like that came from Taboo has gotten better. Like, Boy George is sober, and he and Rosie are on good terms. And mm. it wasn't Boy George. It, just the whole thing felt a little crazy. Um, so being in a flop, you know, I remember being in another flop that I'm not going to name. Like, just that feeling of, like, working really hard and looking out into the audience and just people looking dead inside or mad or you know that's a bad that's not as good a feeling you sort of plow through you just do your job you know that's something that that I got better at as I got older is like you don't have to like like it you don't have to want to they don't have to like it you just have to do your job right and so you got the gypsy robe and this is the first time you've gotten it and Uh people joke that like if you want a gypsy robe you have to do a show without Lisa Guy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, I mean, and you've given up the gypsy robe to other people, which is so gracious of you. And, um, the first time you got it though, uh, was that exciting or were you kind of like, no, no, I wanted, (laughs) I wanted everyone to look at me and I wanted everybody to know that I was getting the gypsy robe and I wanted people to take pictures of me and I wanted people, but at the end of the day, it's like, this is one of those, I don't, for whatever reason, and I know that people will think that I'm a bad person. I'm not, I can't believe I'm saying I'm just like not into it. I accept, I have accepted it, and I, what I'm not into is there's a part of me that doesn't believe in show counting, and there's a part of me that does, and there's a part of me that doesn't believe in awards, and believing in these kinds of awards, and there's a part of, mostly I don't, actually. Like, mm. even, like, when I watch people accept an Academy Award, and I'm sure people will have good arguments as to why I'm wrong, and they, they act like they actually just solved cancer or cured AIDS. Right. I look at them, and I'm like, that's kind of, I'm judging it. It's gross to me. Like, just, it, all it is is, see, all it is is validation, and that's okay to want to be validated, but there's a part of me that doesn't completely buy into it. So the part of me that doesn't completely buy into it is kind of not in, into the gypsy robe. The part of me that wants everyone to look at me is. Right. And so I have accepted it. And, and here's what I love about it. For other people, I love that on the biggest night of a show that a chorus member is honored. So you can look at it that way, and in that way, when it's not me, I can see that, and I think that it's a, a really, really cool thing, and I believe in it that way. And um, because chorus people really are, I never, look, I don't believe in wanting to, um, what's the word, be respected. If you're going to be in show business, you're going to be in the chorus, you're looking for respect, you're, in, you're an, a moron. Right. It's not really about that. But, um, but at the same time, there's a part of me that's like, you know, chorus, chorus is the sort of meat and potatoes, like the producers sort of traipse their chorus out every Tony Awards for a reason. It's mm-hmm. because we are big sort of we're a big reason musicals are popular and there's no sort of, you know, uh, there, I don't, so for that reason, I think that it's nice to properly recognize a chorus person on, um, on opening night. I would never accept it again. Now that I know how I really feel about it, <laughs> I think that would be dickish, you know? No, but you did and you honor and you honor the tradition of it. Yeah. And, but I think it's also cool that you've like given it to people, other people. That was my favorite thing. That yeah. My favorite thing is to give it to people who properly respect it and who, who, I do, I, I, I'm not the most, uh, I don't, I'm like not the most respectful of um, rituals and stuff and traditions. So it's like, mom, I gave it to Jen Frankel, like that, the, her mother was a gypsy who received the gypsy robe. Uh. How she looked in the picture, how she felt about it, how it felt like it was a part of her year. She's like, this was a great year because this was one of the reasons. Like that is, I'm probably going to like be kicked completely out of New York City for saying the things I'm saying in this interview. (laughs) Not at all. I think that you'll be more respected. But anyway, that to me, and you know, that's what growing older and retiring has done for me. I realize, oh, if only I could have been thinking about other people more, it feels really good. You know, so giving the robe to people who really respect it and want it and it means a lot to feel, because I was not like a theater person who knew what it was until like, 
You know what I mean? I, like certain people have been wondering about if they'd get the gypsy road their whole lives. Right. You know what I mean? I was fake smoking on a hill, you know, beating up cheerleaders <laughs> when people were listening to like Carousel and you know whatever. So uh, anyway, that's that's my uh, that's the God's honest truth about it. No, no, I think that I think it's lovely. Yeah. So your next show, uh, Moving Out, was mm-hmm. the first of two uh, experiences that you had with Twilight. Yeah. And I uh, bring up Twilight because one of the things that you always talk about is vulnerability. Yeah. And how you don't like people to see that you're vulnerable, yeah. but yet you want people to see you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's interesting because you, you say that Twilight actually called you out on that. Yeah, yeah. After working with her, so I did Moving Out with her, and then I did The Times That Are Changing with her. And then after The Times That Are Changing, for about a year or a year and a half, Kareen, Rika, and I, um, two of her dancers that she still, she still dances with Rika, um, uh, we went to her house for like a year and a half and helped her make the Frank Sinatra musical, Come Fly Away, and because she, she has a studio, a dance studio in her house. Oh, nice. Yeah, and it was during that time that she turned around and looked at me and out of nowhere and just went, you hide. You hide a lot. <laughs> and it's true, because of that whole sense of, um, or I did, I don't hide anymore, but... Um, you know, I think a lot of performers can relate to that sense of, you know, please see me, stop looking at me. Do you have that? Um, no. I don't. Yeah, I can tell. Yeah. I can tell. Rochelle, like certain people are totally comfortable being seen. A lot of people are conflicted, like yeah. want so badly to be recognized and they're also just like, are like, why are you looking at me? So uh, that was a big thing with, um, there was always a part of me, and this is something I can say now that I'm retired, I, there was always a part of there was a part of me that wanted to do this whole show business thing and be seen and dance and there was always a part of me a very real part of me that really didn't that was like I do not want to traipse myself out on stage I do not want to lay myself out in front of people I don't want it at all and so one of the things that's so nice about my life now is that part of me gets to have its you know what I mean we yes. did it for 25 years I traipsed myself out in front of people and I sang for my supper and there were beautiful things about really really beautiful things that like the most beautiful thing about that was a life in music and art and dancers and singers and directors and, you know, like that's a beautiful life. But um, there's a part of me that's ready to not not uh, do that anymore. So then after Moving Out yeah. was uh, your first like big hit musical, which was Spamalot. That was my first original. because my first, Oh, that was your first original too. Uh, well, no, it was, no, it was my first original real hit. Oh. So Fosse was a hit, right. not critically, but but Tommy was a hit and House of City was a oh, hit. Right. So I thought that that you know when I first started, I thought that's what musicals when you got a show, you just had a show for years. Um, but Spamalot was, I think, my first original. It wasn't even critically acclaimed, so you know. That's true. So Fosse was my first big one. Spamalot was probably my second. Um, moving out, you know, but I wasn't original in that. So but uh, so this was your second Tony. You were on the Fosse for the Tonys. Yes. Yeah. So then Spamalot was your second. Yes. So how was it being in like, uh, and this was also a very high profile show. Yeah. So how was it being in like a, a high profile, especially a show and the Tony Awards and how that whole experience? Um, I, I, lo- I you know, I really loved Spamalot. Like I, I this, um, it's funny. It's like I, I wasn't, let's see, what was it like? Because the tone, it was really just fun. Spamalot was simple and the best thing about Spamlet was um, I made friends for life in Spamlet. Some of my closest friends now I made there. And I'm still really close with a lot of those women. Um, and I wasn't, I just come from moving out and my life was had a lot going on in that time. So I wasn't particularly tuned into the Tonys or the, or anything really, or even the hit of it. You know oh. what I mean? It's like, I wasn't at that, in that period in time, particularly tuned into that. Um, but it was the last time I ever had a chance, like, settle in and have a spot and have a place like I could pee in Midtown whenever I wanted to yes. you know, having a backstage door and um, so uh, yeah I guess I didn't realize it would be my last chance to sort of relax in a show and not be auditioning for my next show while I'm in tech you know absolutely no because I remember that's where we met yeah. and I was all about the Tonys and all that I mean I, that was definitely my old self yeah, where I was yeah. like thriving yeah, off of well, that it's exciting. <clears throat> it is exciting yeah but interesting though, you left Spamalot uh, to go to Times Zero Changing, yeah. which is a complete artistic and yeah. creative choice. Yeah. And that was, I mean, from an outside point of view, to leave a hit to go to do something that's risky yeah. is 
also brilliant, but it's very scary. So how is that? I paid the price. I mean, I didn't work for a year and a half after Times. Times ran for three weeks, and then I didn't work for like three, like a year and a half. So I definitely paid the price. But I, I mean, I learned. I, I would never, ever, ever not want to work with Twyla. And I had done. I had had my Spamalot experience. I wouldn't have like left Spamalot early right. to do it, but I had that experience. And um, I, you know, one of the best things about looking back on that twenty-five years was I was a genuine student. And when I work with her, I learn. So I, um, and I learned enormous amounts of stuff there. So at times there at Jamie, and I had a really, really great experience. So um, that was an easy choice for me. I'd always throughout my career kept my overhead really low so I can make those kinds of choices. Like I was never trapped in a show because I needed to make rent or anything like that. I did that on purpose so I can make choices like times that are changing. And I lived as though I was going to be unemployed. You know, like that was my, I kept my nut like, like expecting to be unemployed a lot. And then you, so you said a year and a half. Yeah. You just, I mean, how was that? Because I mean, hard. Yeah. Because a lot of actors go through five, six years like that. I just recently had a year and a half like that and it's miserable. It's, it's miserable. It was particularly miserable um, at that time in my, you know, by the end of the year and a half, you're like, is something wrong with me? You know what I mean? So I remember talking to, getting cut from another call and sort of talking to, and then out of nowhere, like something sort of worked out. Like my, you can feel the energy shift and, mm. and it was private. I, I was working with Rob Ashford on Brigadoon and maybe it was just like not even, on, no, it was an audition for Brigadoon. And, um, and I happened to get that, and from there, he was like, you're right for this thing, and Crybaby will you come in, and I went in, and I got that, and that sort of, I got back on track in terms of um, working. Um, it, it, was, it was bad, but, you know, I, oh, that, the, bad on the ego, but that wasn't a bad year and a half. You know, like, the year, there was a lot that happened in that year and a half that was, there's a lot that can happen when you're not in a show, like Dusk. And, and like all, all kinds of things that, that are there for you, you know. Um, but I've, I have not yet had, in, you know, for as much as I was a believer in show business, um, and it's not that I'm not a believer now, I'm just a different version of that. You right. know, it's like I still think it's beautiful. Like when we do Tuck and those kids like today, I mean, oh, they go it's crazy. just such a pleasure. They're such yeah. a, it's such a pleasure. So I don't mean like I'm not a believer. It's just that I believed in it in ways that it shouldn't have been believed in. So, you know, now that I'm, um, I have no idea what I was going to say. Something about show business even back then, I have no idea. So with Cry Baby, I mean, Rob Ashford's choreography is notoriously very hard. Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't know a particular Cry Baby, but uh, he also does a lot of partnering. Yeah. What is your experience with partners, like good and bad? Because they can ruin a show. They can absolutely ruin a show. You know, I had one partnering experience um, in Urban Cowboy um, my partnering experiences have always been good. I make a, an enormous. You're like a great partner, by well, the way. Well, you're a great partner. You as really well. are, though. I'm not just saying. Oh, thank you. Um, it's a pleasure. Um, but it's a good match. It is a good match, but also too, I think being a partner is about always trying to consider the other person more than yourself, and and to always be never never get like in our in our case we don't do anything hard, but like you know. Um, I was, a, I was a swing and moving out, and I did really, really hard partnering with a lot of different people all the time because, you know, um, but the culture of the show was such that nobody ever got used to anybody else. That's So, mm. um, so everybody was very, very uh, open, you know, uh, and I didn't have any bad experiences there. It was Irving Cowboy had an experience where, two experiences in my whole career where my partner was ungenerous, and it soiled my experience of dancing with them the entire run. You know, because there's something very sort of vulnerable about throwing yourself in each other's arms and trying to, and uh, if somebody is really yucky, like really vicious about something not working, even if, like literally, if you hit me in the face with a two by four, I'd be like, I'm cool, I'm cool, because I think it's that important in our relationship for you to feel safe with me. Right. You know? Um, so, uh, my experience with partners is 99%. I actually, I won't name his name because he hates this story, but in, in, uh, I was a swing in, had a sweet smell of success, and I did this partnering thing, and I'd lost it. I'd lost the turn. It was like a double, and I'd lost it. And my, I was dancing with my friend, who was generous with me on stage every single time and never said a word, but I heard that I walked off stage and went, fuck! <laughs> and to me, that's a good story about him, because I was like, you get to be frustrated, but don't bring it to me. Right. You know? Um, unless you're going to fix it. You can bring it to the dance captain and say, can we work on this? But don't bring your frustration to me, like, at that level. So anyway... Um, that's basically my experience. I love partnering. I love, love, love my performing experience being connected to connecting with someone as opposed to I'm much less comfortable 
facing down stage. Like I'm least comfortable with uh, presentational, like in our show. I'm yes. least comfortable when I have to look down stage and dance. And I'm the most comfortable. It's one of the reasons why Tuck is such a pleasure is uh, it's all about looking at each other. Absolutely. Yeah. So we talked a lot about your dancing, but you're also a great singer, and and uh, and you can act. But you're the first person to say, "Don't give me a line. I don't want to say a line." Yeah. And directors give you lines anyway, just because they'd like to see you roll your eyes. <laughs> um, but when you went into, you were in Pal Joey. Mm-hmm. You were uh, you understudy uh, you understudy a lot for yeah. someone who doesn't like to say lines and yeah. sing. Yeah. You understudy a lot because you're very Girl's talented. Eat, yeah. And a girl's got to eat. <laughs> but you said that when you went on in. Uh, Pal Joey that Stalker Channing was amazing yeah. so what is that was that experience because it was, was a nice role too it was a beautiful role and a, and a role that suited actually me very well also too I covered Martha Plimpton who is like I just have chills thinking about I remember like they would swing me out to watch her and I'd be like okay so she's a unicorn and I've learned nothing like that's, <laughs> <laughs> for that she's magical beyond description and whatever so um, I covered Martha and it was for Gladys, and it was a really good experience. By the like, I did, I she got a pilot, and I was furious. I was like, "Are you kidding me?" Because I was like, "Oh, I'll never go on. It's just, it's a limited run, whatever." It was for the pilot she wound up doing that oh. raising hope, and um, and uh, so she went away, and I was very well prepared. Trip, who I love, Trip Phillips was my PSM, and they just spent like months preparing me, which made me so much. By the so the day I went on was the day Barack Obama was inaugurated which I've been waiting for since his keynote speech <laughs> and I couldn't I don't even remember the inauguration I went to my friend's house and was in the fetal position with a fever I was so ill over having to go on um and Stalker Channing was she knew everybody knows I don't like to act I make it very clear I'm not comfortable for whatever reason and um and she knew and she came to my room and she said I'm gonna help you and she came downstairs for my because we ran some stuff and we ran some lines we ran some stuff before my I went on and um, and Dr. Channing was like helping me. Like I don't remember, but there was something about like where to deliver my line, you know, some sort of technical thing. She was so generous, and um, had a friend there who said, you know, Lisa did good, <laughs> and she told me, you know, um, she's really really sweet and generous and helpful. And I wish I could remember that story, but I just remember like being frozen in terror and Stalker Channing kind of taking care of me a little bit. You oh, that's know? amazing. Yeah, because yeah. so often understudies go on and the other actors. Are so unconnected. They're not supportive. Oh no! And I mean, what about as a swing? You sometimes you swung as well. I've swung. You know, I work my magic on people and I make them like me. And I'm also a bully, so I will bring my bully out if I have to. So people are kind of afraid of me and kind of like me. So I. <laughs> no, in Pamela, I was kind of afraid of you, and now I love you. So it is funny. Like I like I'm adore sorry. you. So it's, but Pamela, I was like, we never really talked. Yeah, no, uh, I can be a total bully. Um, and there's the rage that people can probably smell. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, even if you've never seen it, like, you can tell, like, oh, is there something in there that's kind of scary? <laughs> so I kind of, like, I literally just use my emotional intelligence to create an atmosphere for myself that is friendly for when I go on. Because, you know, e- you know, even though, like, I keep saying, like, show business was everything to me, like, there was always, like, a limit. Like, there was a limit to what I would tolerate. So, like, if somebody was, because I worked, obviously, as we all do, 99% of us do, I worked more than hard enough and it was more than good enough. And if somebody was ungenerous with me as a swing, in, in terms of, like, not like if I was a good dancer, but if I mm. did my job well, um, that would just piss me off. And in a weird way, people responded to that, you know. So I didn't have a lot of trouble as a swing. Um, I, I can't, here or there, I would get like an absurd request when I was young. You know, when I was young, I would get like, "Could you put the pencil in so and so's pocket on this angle?" You know, stuff like that. Um, but not much of that as I got older. Good. Yeah. Um, so next show was Guys and Dolls, and now Guys and Dolls is a show where uh, it's a great show for the women, but it is very like putting women in their place, and this is how it's supposed to be. How has women body image and having to deal with all of that type of stuff affected you? Because it's so different than men. It's so different than men. You know, Guys and Dolls I did for two weeks, um, <laughs> and I did the last two weeks. Sergio, that's another one. He asked me. He just gave me the job as they needed a vacation swing, and they called me in, and I knew the director too, Des, from Tommy, and how to succeed. So uh, I, uh, you know, body image, that was always actually really, uh, my body, I have a pretty, I have a very, very comfortable, and always have had a very comfortable relationship with my body. Um, But I don't have a typical theater body. It's very straight, and I'm not, I always felt pretty too in real life, but for theater, sometimes I'm, I'm not, like, I always say I'm the ugliest girl in the pretty girl show. Like, I'm pretty enough to be, like, at the end of the line in the wing. <laughs> like, practically in the wing. And that was, I was always pretty enough, but always the ugliest one. So, 
when it comes to show business, pretty, I could not feel better about. I really never struggled with that as a person, but I think because beauty in theater is is associated with glamour, and that's not the version of pretty. Like when I seduced my husband, or when I seduced, or when I when I like the way I sort of attract men is through different things than what women do in theater. I never beveled and I never pose and that's not how I do it. So, <laughs> so that I always felt in glamorous shows really, really, really uncomfortable. And as I got older, I just didn't want to do it. No. So no. less about my body, although part that's part of it because what I look like in my body, like I'm not enough of an object. I'm not like a gorgeous enough object to just be good enough standing there. You know what I mean? Like, that's not my thing. And um, and nor was I ever, there were certain things I was interested in cultivating. And I think glamour is a very, very interesting thing. It's just, like, I think if someone's interested in glamour, that that's a valid thing. It's not where I live. So I had no interest in cultivating anything. It's the antithesis of my energy. All right. Have you ever dance captained? Besides, you are right now. I am but... right now. No. This is your first time? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So our next interview, I'll ask you how that's how that's been. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so with Finian's Rainbow, um, I, I don't know if this it correlates, but um, I don't know if there's a lot of like group scenes. Yeah. But one of my favorite things that you've ever said is that uh, the way that ensemble people make their money is not from singing and dancing. Yeah. And so how do you, when you, when you say this is how we earn our money, what does that mean? Yeah. Because singing and dancing is fun. And you know what's not fun? Being in a group scene. So I don't think there's a person in the world that's like, oh, yay, I'm in a group scene. So that's, I said to you, when we were in the group scene in, um, in the fair, I was like, this is where we earn our money. It's like, you don't have to pay me to sing or dance, but I'm going to go ahead and take that paycheck for having to sort of make this work. It's very hard to make a group scene work. And, and also, uh, it, it's hard to be good at group. At, and Finian's Rainbow, we were used so often you know, to sort of help tell the story, but without lines, you know, like in, in group scenes. And um, like, I remember like, <laughs> be like, go, like just like standing. And I'm just so bad at it. Anyway, I'm terrible at it and I hate it. And I feel like that's where I earn my money. Uh, oh no, absolutely. Especially when they're like, make lots of commotion and but noise. But no noise. But no noise. Be, do it silent, but make it look like you're actually talking. Oh my God. It's absolute, utter torture. Oh, yes. no, I agree. Yeah. Especially when people are like, Oh, say peas and carrots and peas. And you're like trying to add. No, like make a kerfuffle, you know, like, wait, ow, wait, what? <laughs> wait, Adam, can wait? You know, like just the whole thing. It's just, it's really, really hard. It's hard, it's especially in the, like, now I feel like once you hit your flow and everybody's kind of, it's, it's, but in, initially, like those first couple of like weeks or months in a show where you're in a lot of crowd scenes, it's just hard. It's hard. Yes. So uh, you mentioned Elf uh, before Casey Nicola just called you up, and so you did the workshop of yeah. that. Yeah. So uh, for doing a workshop, it's kind of fun because you're there from day one. Yeah. So uh, and then that did you do Elf both years in a row, two years? Both I times? didn't. I was doing Catch Me If You Can this, for the second Elf, so oh. I couldn't do the second Elf. But oh, Elf okay. is one of my favorite shows I've ever done. Really? Yes. Because because uh, it was had a lot of ambient light, and I didn't like kids yet, but I but you could see the kids in the audience. First of all, it was I loved the music, this happy music. Um, it was a Christmas show at Christmas time. My husband's like a Christmas freak, and his family, and um, and um, you could just see how happy these kids like. And a lot of special needs kids came, or maybe oh. a lot of special needs kids come to all shows, but you can't see. So there were a lot of times that you could see like special needs kids, like having the time of their life, and oh. and um, and standing up. Like there was a time where this daughter came and she couldn't control her uh, body so her mother was holding her down the whole time and um, and then at the end of the show before we, the ensemble even came out to bow um, after watching her have the time of her life she and her mother were the only people before we even got out her mother was holding her arm in the air and they were screaming and like we all like the entire cast wept and Elf was a lot of that and also too all of some of my best all my best friends were in it and Casey always hires, like, the most... Casey Nicolod hires a delicious group of people. That's part of his gift. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a really, really... It was a beautiful experience. Um, so, when you're doing all these Broadway shows and it's all happy and, and life is going well uh, for your career, yeah. sometimes real life happens and there's uh, there's breakups and, and there's deaths and divorce. How is it when you have to go, say, use Elf as an example, your, your real life is sucky, and then you have to walk into the theater and put on that brave face and go get on your knees and pretend like you're a midget. And yeah. Midget. Sorry, dwarf. <laughs> <laughs> get it. Uh, 
generational. So, it's generational. It's generational. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, how is that experience? And that happens with all shows. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know what? It's I show business me really suited me so well that I can you can literally punch me in the stomach and do it I can perform I have a switch <laughs> and it was very helpful and when I had hard times going to work was always good for me and showing up was very good for me being in a show I like I remember like one of the hardest times in my whole career was my dog Frito was dying and like worse than breakups deaths so far I mean there are certainly deaths that could happen now that would kind of slaughter me but at the time you know um and um it was a it was I can always be in the show doing my job and it was helpful to me it was like a two hour remember it being like a two hour break from pain Mm. or if during a breakup or whatever just giving my body a chance to take a break because I don't know if you remember what grieving feels like it's physical and so there was something about singing and it's just like literally and I really let that happen I didn't try to stay connected to what was going on in my life I completely turned my switch off which is the easiest thing in the world for me mm. and um, and did my show and and then switched back on that was never hard for me there was nothing that ever happened to me that I couldn't dance and sing through easily well, that's great you know what it really it's a, not a terrible coping mechanism as long as at some point you deal yeah, no, yeah, no yeah. I, I agree. No, yeah. I love it. Sometimes I, I mean, I walk in and I'm like, oh, this is a sacred place. Yeah. This, if I'm going to heal, it's going to be in a theater. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's definitely, um, it, it was a really, I, that's why I can't wait for the pendulum to swing back towards the center because theater was a really important part of my life and a very good friend to me over the, you know, but um, I think I just have to sort of get a little bit more of that other stuff out of my system so that I can arrive at that. Oh, absolutely. Place. Yeah. So you mentioned Catch Me If You Can. Did uh, That did an out-of-town tryout. It did. I joined it when it came back to New York. Oh, you joined it came back to New York. Yeah. And how was that? I mean, that's, I mean, talk about a dressing room full of, like... Strong uh, personalities. Strong personalities and, and great women. I mean, was that, um, uh, well, I don't know. Not all of them, maybe. Uh, <laughs> but that just seems like, I mean, I actually saw the show. I saw it closing night. Yeah. And, I mean, I really, really liked it. It's yeah. another one of those where, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, what happened with the yeah, timing? Yeah, but how yeah. was... How was that experience? You know, it was, first of all, Mark Shaman, Scott Whitman, Jerry Mitchell. Like, honestly, the best part about it was Angie Schwar, Jen Frankel, and those guys. Yeah. Um, really, they were the best people. Um, I still love them. And 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 uh, well, it was personally very difficult. Like, I didn't like, I was not in a great place during that show because I was no knew that I was coming to the end of my career. And it was also a glamorous show. And my insecurity was kind of really, really high. And um, and I so I was kind of uncomfortable um, in that one. Even though I thought the show was great, I was very proud of it. I thought it was a very mature, grown-up show. Like the fact that it ended each act with one or two people on stage was, I thought, right. super grown-up. Yeah. Um, but, um, and I loved... I loved doing like go-go dancing and stuff, but I was just kind of fraught on that one, which is okay because it was the last time I was fraught. (laughs) And you know, for me, I'm not fraught in my real life. I always sort of did my fraught, you know, I experienced my fraughtness much more through in my career. I was more career fraught than personal life fraught. So um, I had more fraught in my career maybe than the average person um, because that's where I worked out my demons more. You know, I definitely have to work out. You know, everyone has stuff to work out and everything. It's right. not like I did. It's not like I was nailing personal life the whole time. But I was definitely had much more flow there, and I was much more stuck um, in my career uh, emotionally. So that was the last time I was. I was pretty fraught on that one. Um, it was the last time I was fraught, and then I did what I do after that one. Well, I want to go back in just yeah. a second. You did. Did you do Robin and the Seven Hoods? I did. Yeah. So what's the experience like of doing an out of town tryout that you put all your eggs in a basket and then it doesn't come in? Um, I had a job. I think I had Catch Me If You Can already. Oh. And so I wasn't particularly attached to the outcome. I was just there to be with Casey. <laughs> I came here to be with Casey. <laughs> um, and uh, Did you do Minsky's as well? I didn't. No, okay. no. Um, I was available, but he was. that was just one of those jobs. Casey would just look at me and be like, you're really just not right for it. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I wasn't right for it. He wanted boobs and curviness and fullness. Um, so... Yeah, I did Robin and Seven Hoods. I had a good time. I'm not great away from home, so by the time we were done, I was like, I want to go home. But um, the choreography was great. It was another glamour job. I'm always less comfortable being glamorous. Casey knows that. Casey knows everything. He knows now that I'm retired. He knows that. 
but then I'm dancing in a show, but I'm retired. Right. Um, well, when we were doing pre-production for this, we all asked, like, what's one of your most proud of, proudest moments? And what's funny, this is for the listener, we're dancing and rehearsing, and she goes, oh, besides my son, it's when I used to be a dancer. <laughs> Casey's like, used to be? What are you? We're dancing right now. <laughs> and so it was just very funny. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's a great thing to have been a dancer. You still are. <laughs> it's over. You still are. No, I don't want to be a dancer anymore. Um, so uh, you, uh, your last Broadway show, uh, as of now until your next one, um, was Chaplin. Yeah. And um, so uh, I think with Chaplin, how was that experience? But also talk about what this new self is now that you talk about it. Well, I was halfway to my new self at Chaplin. I was kind of, when I did Chaplin, I was like, if this is going to be torture, I'm not doing it anymore. Where I was kind of like, oh, I can choose myself over show business. Like, you know, no, I've got to stay. I've got I've got to win everyone over. I've got to be great. Um, so that was, I was kind of halfway there. Chaplin was interesting because I was hired. Um, Warren was kind enough. And, you know, what a lot of people, uh, I was like in my mid-40s. So the only reason you would really hire somebody in their early to mid-40s to be in the ensemble is to kind of be like a character person. So, but I don't like to act. So I had these two scenes and I had this big cover, covering Hedda Hopper that um, I didn't want to ever, 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 ever go on. Did you? <laughs> no. They played a joke on me where they pretended they were going to put me on. And um, it was all I could do to pretend I cared about Jen Colella's well-being, <laughs> who is somebody that I absolutely adore. They were, they were like, Jen's not feeling well, and all I could think about was myself. I was like, why are you not feeling well? <laughs> and I, I had to like, I had to scrape out, I hope you feel better, Jen. <laughs> but um, so they played a trick on me that I was going to go on. I did a big put-in. In, in, you know, they gave me a put-in when they were putting someone else in, and that's mm. the furthest I got with it. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so Chaplin, I was sort of used as a character ensemble member, and I, and I, don't, I don't, I'm not an actor, so I kind of felt like I wasn't great, and it wasn't really, um, uh, I didn't love not being great at something. You know, like, I really didn't have a chance with acting. With dancing, I had a chance. <laughs> so, I did, and I did not, I just did not ever want to step out on stage and say a line. You know, and so, so, you know, there were times where um, uh, there were things that were there. I was very, you know, again, I was like very much grateful to be a part of it, but kind of learning that maybe I just need to be happy. You know what I mean? Instead of clinging to being in shows. So. No, that's a, that's a great place to be. Yeah. And do you think, uh, how has motherhood uh, changed you? Because it's, uh, Luca's how old now? He's um, kind of young. He's 14 months. So, I mean, it's somewhat new. So you have had like a. Two years of being pregnant and yeah. and fourteen months. I mean, that seems like it's changed you a lot. It has changed me like like every cell. It's like so crazy. I, I can't really even figure out why I get to be so changed, except for the fact that I've been work. You know, not to like overvalue working on yourself because like that can be so. Those people can be so tedious, and like a life about working on yourself is still a life about work. Right. So you know, I don't want to overstate like or overthink. I'm so amazing for having worked on myself my whole life, but it's always been something. I'm, I'm a total narcissist, so I've always been completely interested in myself, and um, <laughs> and I've always sort of sort of tried to be conscious and tried to know myself and hope. And what's so nice is it's finally turning into me being a better person. For the longest time, it was just me learning about myself, and and I think I'm really beginning. Like I can literally feel legitimate compassion for others that would typically torture me, people that would torture me now. And hopefully, so hopefully I'm just like microscopically better in the world as a result of like 75 million years of therapy. So um, motherhood, you know, I worked on myself my whole life and then I got pregnant and everything I worked on just fell into place for the moment until the next lesson. But like right now, life is perfect. And it's been perfect from the day my son was born. And it's a crazy thing to say that something's perfect. Look, I mean, perfect is strong I just mean I'm never unhappy anymore like fundamentally happy to be a parent and um and it's the, the anchor of my life shifted to my family and that feels like a much better place to have an anchor and everything else that happens is so much enjoyable so much more enjoyable because the things that happen outside of your relationships can't be what they're not so now that they're what they should be I love them you know and they're really enjoyable and uh, so motherhood has made me like like fundamentally happy on a daily, like every day, a little happier. Well, I know you're retired, but you are performing right now and yeah. still kicking to your head. Has it made your, uh, <laughs> just so the viewer can hear, viewer, uh, listener. The single viewer. The single, the single, the single viewer. Uh, but how has it changed how you perform as a person? 
I just, you know, I'm not asking for anything anymore. So I just, I just, all of my energy is like, I like, what does Casey need? What do Nathan and Chris need? I want to give them what they need. I want to serve. I really do. I just want to serve the show. I want to serve the audience. I want to see the people around me. I want to hear the music. Um, and it used to be just constantly, I mean, I was just under a mountain of trying to improve all the time. And so all anyone ever saw when they watched me dance was me trying to fix something. Mm. You know, as opposed to being present, as opposed to enjoying, as opposed to serving. So now, and it's such a gorgeous thing. Like if I never dance again or if I do, it doesn't really matter. But it's so nice to have known that once out of all of these years to to. So what a gift. Like, because when I took this job, I was like, and I said this to Casey, I was like, I'm not really sure why I did that because the amount of effort that it takes for me, I mean, I have like 50 million mother-in-laws and mothers and aunts and everyone has to come down here and live with me in a one-bedroom hotel room <laughs> with no windows in Atlanta. Like that's nobody, you know, the amount of effort it took for me to bring my kid down here, right. you know, and getting up at five in the morning every day and, you know, but, um, and now I realize why I did it and I'm so grateful I did it and, um, and it is such a pleasure to have danced with joy and being present and to see everyone around me and to serve and not to be fixing a thing. I don't fix anything anymore. If something goes wrong and something perks up in me, like let's say I didn't do something the way I'd like to have done it, I don't work on it. I don't. And I honestly think I'm better for it. I don't think I was better for all of the work that I did. I think it made me much worse. Well, you are an absolute pleasure. And we're coming to an end. I mean, are there any... Uh, things you want to throw in there? Any? I know it's just a good thing I'm retired because I don't think I would ever be hired again after this interview. <laughs> no, that, I think you definitely would. I think I pretty much put a nail in every coffin. Uh, no, I think, no. Yeah. I don't think you put a nail in one. I mean, yeah. not Yeah, at all. it's just the truth. And hopefully, you know, I don't know. If it, I hope your listener... <laughs> My one listener. They're in Maine. Maybe, I, maybe it's helpful, I don't know, to tell the truth that honestly. And if it's not, then that's okay. But you never talked about not being proud of your performance and that's no 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 I mean I, I don't know that I was proud of my performance but I was always very aware of how lucky I was oh and that's yes. no that's beautiful yeah so if I ever learn how to like edit this and put in a song at the end yeah. out of all your shows what's your favorite song from any of the shows you've done I just saw that question right now like before oh. I, and, and um, I, I you know would be listening to you because the pleasure of my life now as a performer is it my life or my life as a performer uh, Let's just do performer because I can't even imagine. Okay, just performer. Listening to you because it's such a pleasure to be receiving on stage and to be to be witnessing everybody and taking in what they're doing and letting them hit me, you know. Yes. That's the pleasure of what I do now. Great. Yeah. So what song? Listening to you from Tommy. Listening to. Oh, I you. thought you meant listening to me. No, or just li or listening to <laughs> you. I'm listening to Brad. I, yeah. I don't even know that song. It's, I got lost. You don't know. Then. You don't know that song. No. Listening to you. I hear the. All right, so. it's a great. Oh God, it's a good song. Okay, well yeah. that, that's how we're. It's gonna rock end and roll. This. It's Tommy. Yeah. Oh, I love me some rock and roll. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you very much. I'm thank gonna you. hug you on air. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. He seems to be completely unreceptive. The test I give it make no sense at all. His eyes react to light that I have detected. He hears but cannot answer to your call. See me, feel me, touch me, feel me. See me, feel me, touch me, The shock from isolation If he suddenly could hear and speak and see Stimulation needed to grow this.